Christ Church Savannah is the mother church of Georgia because it's the first church established in the state of Georgia. I don't know if it's kind of an old-fashioned term, but when you think about it, the mother church is really Jerusalem. It was first Jewish believers who were disciples of Jesus who saw his resurrection and went forth to proclaim to the known world that Jesus, in fact, was dead and is alive that he was crucified and he is resurrected. And they begin to share the gospel in Asia Minor and up into Europe. And that's the only reason why these people know. And so Paul is wanting the, the churches of Asia Minor, you know some of their names, Ephesus, Corinth, Thessalonica, because these are the letters that Paul wrote to, Romans. He wants these Christians who were living in Asia Minor and in Southern Europe to remember their mother church and the suffering that's going on. We don't know exactly what happened, but it seems there was a famine. You remember from biblical times, Old Testament, there were times for Abraham when there was famine in the land of Israel, and so they had to go down to Egypt to get, to get food, and uh, remember the whole thing with, uh, you know, the, the sons going down, and, and you, know, you, you know, you remember that story from the Old Testament, right? Joseph, Coat of many colors, this ringing a bell, anybody? You got some head nodding. Okay, you know, so there's, so famine takes place. So famine is once again set in in Jerusalem. And so there is extreme poverty. I mean, it's not, it's, there's one thing to, you know, for there to be a, a housing bubble burst. Um, but if you're an agricultural community and, and there's not enough food, there's just, there's just scarcity. There's, there's just extreme poverty, and that's what's going on. And so Paul is writing to the churches, and he's interacting with the churches, and that's what's going on in the background. Corinth, the city of Corinth, had first committed to helping Jerusalem, but the funds they had set aside had been reappropriated, shall we say. And so now Titus, who's one of Paul's disciples, one of Paul's Greek converts is now in Corinth and Paul is writing to this Corinthian church. Can you tell that I've spent a lot of time teaching on Corinthians on Wednesday night so I know a lot about Corinth and, uh, and Corinth was an important city. It was a part of Greece. It sat at the, at the Isthmus. I think that's how you pronounce that word. The Peloponnesian Peninsula right there if you know your geography and uh, it's an it's a important trade place. It was both the land crossroads because you had to come through Corinth to get down to the peninsula but also the waterway so two different types of crossways were here Corinth was a wealthy city it was a city of means it was also a a, an, a, a tourist attraction if you wanted to hit all the pagan temples and see all the the plethora of gods that were available out there you went to Corinth because they had them all because they were rich enough to build temples to all of them but especially to Apollos Apollos was the main temple there in Corinth. Again, you can see Paul wants to explain to the Corinthians another step of discipleship, another piece of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Corinth was a lot like Gainesville and the University of Florida, very much uh, enthusiastic to excel in all things, which is why Paul ends these verses with that, as you have excelled in everything else, excel in this also. In this wealth of generosity, 
Paul says. And he says it right there in verse 3. If you have your insert, if you want to turn over in the Pew Bible, however you want to take a look at it, but it would be helpful for you to take a look at this passage. We're going to be looking at the Second Corinthians passage today for the sermon time. Paul says in verse 2, actually, he reminds them of their sister church in Macedonia and their wealth of generosity. But it is this wealth of generosity that Paul wants to see produced in the church of Corinth and by extension, he wants us to understand about this wealth of generosity. Now, don't get thrown off by Macedonia. You may or might, may not know, I learned because Alexander is my name, Alexander the Great was actually from a Macedonian family. His father was Macedonian. Macedonia conquers Greece. Militarily, Greece conquers Macedonia in the known world culturally, right? That's why everybody's speaking Greek. That's why the New Testament's written in Greek. And so... Um, so Paul is referring here to the churches of Macedonia, which would have been places like Philippi. You know the book of Philippians, written to the people at Philippi. That was the Roman colony. That was the, the major city in Macedonia, but also the city, of, the city of Thessalonica and the city of Berea. Those would have been three churches that Paul founded, church that he planted in Macedonia. So likely Paul is in Philippi writing to the Corinthians and he's reminding them of the great wealth of generosity that the Macedonian churches have expressed. Now it's interesting because you know you can't see it as he's sort of provoking them to jealousy a little bit right but but you know Gainesville people right there's something healthy about competition it encourages us to excellence. And so Paul is, is, yes, he is sort of reminding them of this example of this, so if you could be, you know, rival area, but he's, it's, it's for the purpose that they would be discipled in this area of generosity as well. He wants to see them have this wealth of generosity just as they excel in everything else. And so that's why Paul gets into this today. And he wants to see this, and so he gives us the example. He talks about these Macedonian churches, Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea. And he, he, tells, he tells about the, the nature of their own uh, generosity. He says, verse 3, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, but and beyond their means of their own accord. Go back to verse 2 for a second. In the severity of the test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed into a wealth of generosity on their part. Now we don't know exactly what this, this extreme affliction was, but biblical scholars suggest that it perhaps had to do with persecution. Uh, if you go back and read in Acts about the churches of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, you find out that as Paul had sort of decided that he was going to reach out to the Gentile peoples, there were some Jewish um, instigators who began to cause trouble for Paul and caused him to have to flee from one city to the next, establishing a church but then moving on and eventually he has to leave and a guy named Jason gets beat up and there's lots of things that go on if you want to read about that. Um, but uh, Philippi, of course, Paul's thrown in jail. So there's a lot of persecution against this, the church. And, and so perhaps this is the severe affliction that he's talking about. But, Paul says, 
in the face of that, the church, the Macedonian churches gave sacrificially. They didn't give out of their surplus, out of their abundance. They gave out of their great need. You know, in the Old Testament, if you look back at, like, for instance, Habakkuk 3, uh, the Lord commands that his people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, that they would give of the first fruits. And I, I'm reading a book called, uh, I always get this title wrong, but Guns, Germs, and Steel. Any of you guys read that book? And I, I, I never thought about how important food production is to the development of the world. So as a farmer, you're welcome. Enjoy your Western culture. It's all because of farmers. Um, I, this is kind of what I'm, that's kind of my takeaway, the first hundred pages. But, you know, you don't, you don't think about in terms of, you know, when, when God calls the Israelites to give of their first fruits, just think about that. They're giving of their crops when the first crops begin to come in before they know how large the crop is. It's, it'd be much easier to collect your crops in, see how much you get. In West Georgia, we say, how much you make, you know, did, is the corn going to make this year? What, that's a West Georgia term for how much, how much are you going to receive from your corn crop? And then out of that surplus, you would give. But the Lord calls the Israelites to give of their first fruits. It's a statement of faith. It's trusting in the Lord that he's given us this first fruit. We're going to give it back to the Lord, and we're going to trust that God's going to provide for us. That first fruit went to to take care of the Levites. It also went to take care of the poor among the people of Israel. And they trusted the Lord that he would bring in the rest of the crop. Paul makes the point that the Macedonian churches were extremely poor. They were also under severe affliction, and yet in the midst of that, they gave sacrificially. They didn't wait and give out of the surplus. They gave they gave, you know, beyond. It's easy to, you know, if you got lots of money to give a little bit, uh, you know, it's, it's even harder, but you can do it if, you know, you, you decide, well, I'm going to give up my $8 Starbucks coffee, coffee and I'm going to give that. You know, it hurts a little bit. But then to give even beyond that is hard. The story is told of Charles Spurgeon, famous English pastor, Baptist English pastor. Uh, he, this, this wealthy man called him, or called him, called him, he, he wrote him and said, will you come and preach? Our rural church is in need of paying off some debt, and we'd love for you to come to a preaching seminar and help, help us raise money. And then the man, in, the wealthy man in the conversation went, went on to say, you can stay at my city house, my country home, or my seaside cottage. And Spurgeon reportedly wrote back and said, sell one of your houses and take care of the debt yourself. Don't just give out of the surplus, but give beyond that. Give sacrificially. That's what Paul says the church at, 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 in the Macedonian area, they were doing. They were giving sacrificially. In the face of their own, their own need, they were giving. Uh, it, they, they, weren't giving they were giving like the widow, the widow's might. Remember that story Jesus tells, the parable? That's where they were giving. It was sacrificial. But not only was it sacrificial, before you begin to feel guilty, let be reminded that Paul says, secondly, they gave voluntarily. Later on in chapter 9, Paul will say, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. God doesn't want us to give out of guilt or manipulation. He wants us to give of our own free will. 
in response to him. And so it's important that we see that, that the, the Macedonian church, Paul says, of their own free will, of their own accord, it says in verse 3, they gave. They gave willingly. Sacrificially, yes, but they gave willingly. Notice that in between the great affliction that they're suffering and the extreme poverty, there's this phrase, the abundance of their joy. Did you catch that? Isn't that weird? The severe test of our affliction, verse 2, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed to a wealth of generosity on their part. I don't know about you, but that doesn't, that's something about that doesn't jive. It's like, are you kidding me? Extreme poverty, affliction, and in the midst of that joy. There was a joy about these churches in Macedonia. They were given in response to what they had experienced. The grace of God that they had experienced was the joy within them that caused them to give out. Now, for our, our retreat, we had speaking of Carl Smith, uh, Greater Bethel AME Church, uh, pastor here in town over on the east side. And uh, Carl just... He has a way of turning some phrases that just, I mean, within the African-American tradition of oratory, there's just some, they have some advantages over us. And I'm, I'm trying to learn some of the tactics and some of the, the lessons there. But, but, but Pastor Carl got up with us and he said, he said, look, we need to be thankful for so many more things than we are. We should be thankful that we got out of bed this morning. I mean, just think about that. The Lord woke you up today. He didn't have to wake you up. There are people that died in their sleep last night. But the Lord woke us all up this morning. He goes on to talk about that. And he enumerates all the things, right guys? You had feet to, to get up out of bed. You had food to eat. You had a place, you, you had some warmth. You, it, there are so many things and, and, and somebody had encouraged him to think about the 25 things you can be thankful for to the Lord. But then he went on to say, you know, you think about it, and this, this just hits me like a ton of bricks. When you really think about where we've come from, our past, our upbringing, our temperaments, our foils, our sins, the mistakes we've made, it's nothing short of a miracle that we're in this room today. You don't know my whole story. It's an act of grace that I'm even here, that I'm standing before you preaching this sermon. My life could have gone wrong in so many ways and I could be someplace else, far from God. It is a work of grace in our lives that we're here today. I know some of your stories. It's a miracle that you're here. And if you knew my full story, you'd know it's a miracle that I'm here. That's the kind of thanksgiving that wells up and a gracious response. You say, how could these Macedonian Christians, in, in facing poverty, and facing affliction, how could they have such joy? Because they were aware that everything they had was a gift from God. And it produced such a joy in them that they begged for the opportunity to respond. You see, I think sometimes we become callous to how blessed we are and how much we have to give thankful. And I'm so thankful for Pastor Carl and, and reminding us of that and reminding us of that very simple truth that, that you know, we, where, could we, where would we be without the grace of God? And doesn't it result in a joy in our lives that makes us be thankful and want to respond back? 
They had received the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that their life could, their, their, their sins could be forgiven, the past could be forgiven, that they have a future hope, that there's a life beyond the grave, that God is redeeming all things in the future, but also a hope for the present, that God is at work in us. You see, the reality is that generosity is not something that comes natural to human beings. Now, the post-Christian society that we live in wants to pretend as if it could. They want to they erode the biblical truth. They want to erode the foundations of Christianity and Western society, but they want to hold on to the values. So they want to believe that the deep down in people that we're all generous, but it's not true. Generosity is something that is a work of God within us. We are self-centered creatures. But that generosity comes as we get in touch with all that we have to give thanks for. And it wells up with a joy that says, I have been given so much. I want to give back. These are the people that brought the gospel to us. If they're in need, I want to give to them. And Paul says this is the voluntary nature of their giving, that they want to reach out. It's a response to God's grace it's the favor, it's the, it's the opportunity to bless those who blessed us, who brought the gospel to us. We would not have known that Jesus died for our sins. We would not have known that he rose from the dead if it wasn't for the church in Jerusalem. Of course we want to give. It's a natural response. Jesus says in Matthew 6, he says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Fairly familiar scripture, we know it. Sometimes I think we can get kind of, you know, pastors get up, preachers get up and talk about, look at your checkbook, where you spend your money on, that's what you love, and that kind of thing. And I think sometimes, I'm even convicted, that sometimes can be very almost guilt-driven, you know. I like how Tim Keller put it. Kim, Tim Keller said uh, in a sermon I listened to recently, he said, the things that you treasure, you give your money to freely. The things you treasure, you give your money to freely. My brother, Zach, despises Disney. I, I know that may bother some of you, but it's, take it up with my brother. I can give you his address later. You can write to him. Um, he, he'll appreciate it. Uh, he does not like Disney. He's, his kids are, what, like 10 and 12, and they've never been to Disney World. They live in the Atlanta area, never been to Disney. No intention to take them to Disney. But his in-laws, who are quite wealthy, decided that the way for them to spend quality time with their grandchildren is to pay for nice vacations. And it works. I wish I had enough money to do it myself one day, but that, this is, it works. If you, if you get a nice vacation, your kids... So guess where my, his in-laws have decided to take the family to vacation? Disney World. My brother is not looking forward to it. I said, dude, you get a free vacation at Disney World over Thanksgiving. Quit complaining. I used other words as well. He, he's, he doesn't want to pay for the food. He's complaining about the parking cost. He's complaining about the crowds. His heart is not in it. But now there are some of you that love Disney World. You want to spend all your free time at Disney World if you could. For you, annual pass expense, no problem. Here we go. $25 let me park. Thank you very much. Here you go, right? Because you, you treasure it so you give your money to it freely. The Macedonian churches, Paul say, are, are treasuring all that they have received through the gospel. 
And so freely they want to give their money. It's a natural response that they would want to bless those who have blessed them with the gospel and to bless the work of the gospel. So they gave sacrificially. They also gave voluntarily, which is so important. Lastly, their giving, Paul says, has become the grace of God. Your money can be transformed into grace in the, in the Lord's name. Your money, we tend to think of our money as that which we need to, to take care of our needs today and build security for the future. But Paul says money can be transformed. It can actually become the grace of God in the life of someone else. Now, this happened to me recently. There was a need, there was something going on in the church, and we didn't have enough money, and, and there was no budget item. And I hate to go back to the vestry and say, we, we need to spend money that we didn't budget for. And I didn't really know what to do with this. And then, miraculously, a check comes in the mail from somebody who already gives to servants, who already tithes, and already gives to the building fund. They just, free will offering, they gave another check for $500, and it completely covered the need that we had. That family doesn't yet know, but in that moment, their money was transformed into grace in my life. Because I saw a need, I cried out to the Lord, and the Lord provided for that need through their money. It became grace. Paul says this, this is how money, when we learn to be wealthy in generosity, this is how God can use our money, our giving the things we give. He can turn it into his grace. Notice, just I kind of skipped over because I wanted to make the point now, but go back to verse 1. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the church of Macedonia. And then skip down to verse 6. Therefore, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he started with this collection, so he should complete among you that act of grace. And then lastly, verse 7, but as you excel in everything, UF, Gainesville, Alachua County, except education, but we're working on that, in the public schools, that is, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, and probably also your love for us, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul says our money can become the grace of God in people's lives. You know, that psalm reminds us that when we cry out to the Lord, that he hears our prayers, that he meets our needs. Do you know that, that, that countless times, I as a pastor get to see it. Sometimes I, I can't share all these stories because a lot of them are confidential, but you don't know. But when you give to this church, you become the answer to somebody's prayer, that they prayed that God would be faithful, that he'd meet their need. And they throw their hands up. Lord, I don't know how this is going to get paid. I don't know how I'm going to survive this. And, and, and over and over and over again, our money is turned in to the grace of God in someone's life. I mean, what could be better? It's just going to sit in a bank account? Or it, it blesses and builds the faith of somebody who cried out to God to see their need met. Paul says this is what can happen when we learn to be generous, to be wealthy in our generosity. I was at the New Wineskins Mission Conference um, at the end of September and uh, got to be there with Jody and uh, the heirs and, 
and Emily Wilson and um, Janice Ladd and a couple of our guys from our mission congregation, and we were all there together. They, and, and, and we're talking about a mission conference you hear about, uh, you know, least reached people groups, places where there, there's no Bible, no church, no, um, no known Christians, or if there are, they're, they're very small. You, you learn about uh, places of persecution of the church. You learn about uh, different needs that are going on there. Uh, we learned about this time about um, albino children who are hunted down and persecuted because of the skin color, because it's they, the witch doctors, et cetera, think it's you know it's useful in their their religious practice to 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 massacre these people. So we learned about you know just all sorts of things that are going on, and and the Lord began to to build in me. And we're a mission minded congregation. You guys know we we give to a lot of different things. We have a lot of folks come through here to share about the needs and the opportunities in the world. But the Lord began to give me this picture. You know, a, a lot of us as Americans we pay special attention to our financial portfolio, don't we? We we know our stocks and bonds and our our, our you know our. 401ks and our IRAs and, and, and you know, Roth IRAs. And we, we, have all, we have our whole financial portfolio. And we're blessed in this country that we have the, the surplus to be able to do that. But the Lord began to give me this picture about what would it be like if we as Christian Americans didn't simply just focus on our financial portfolio, but we focused on our giving portfolio. What if we, we were mindful and focused on, well, I give so much of my money to servants of Christ because this is what they're doing, and I give this much to Young Life because it's what they're doing, and I give this to, to Bishop James for, for you know, and we, we actually saw or maybe even created for ourselves a portfolio of our giving. Friends, that's what it looks like to have a wealth of generosity. It fills you with joy to think about the way you're giving money away. We had a, a guy that was at the church. He actually had a, he went so far as to, he had his own checking account for giving. And he put money into that giving account, and then he would just look for ways to, to give it away. He understood the wealth of generosity. It flowed from a joy of all that he'd been given, and it produced joy as it was given and allowed to be the grace of God in the lives of others. So this morning, this is all I'm going to say. We're, we're, this is where we are. We're called by Paul to examine the Macedonian church's model. They gave sacrificially. They gave voluntarily. They gave, and their giving became the grace of God in the lives of others. Oh, may God make us a people who are wealthy in generosity, that we may know his joy and that abundantly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.